The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal valid when product served. And welcome to episode number 54 of the LSR podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all the gaming industry. This week, Dustin Galker, Adam Candy, join me to run down what's going on in my home state of Louisiana three weeks in a row. That is never going to happen again on this podcast, that's for sure. We're reopening across the country. We will talk about that. And of course, we'll take a look at some more DraftKings news as that just continues to Go crazy on the old stock market over there, and people are loving themselves. Some DraftKings, as always, you can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google, and we do appreciate those five-star rates and reviews helping people find this very podcast here. Uh, Guys, things are starting to reopen across the country. There is a sense of, you know, I'm air-quoting here, normalcy starting to set in across this, uh, this country of ours, and so... We're going to start seeing, you know, we're going to start having some some interesting numbers here that we're going to uh, be able to report. You know, the numbers have been down over the last few months, rightfully so. No, no sports, nothing to bet on. But people are getting back in the casinos. Sports are starting back up. It looks like there's going to be more UFC events, more boxing events. We've had a couple of golf events here, which leads us into the the first topic here, which was the golf event this past this past weekend in which it was the highest viewed golf event ever on cable television and you know look i understand that we are in a sports starved society right now with nothing else going on but adam when you take a look at the numbers that we're hearing kind of coming out of this as far as the ratings 5.8 million was the average 6.3 million was the peak on this thing um i think that it it, when sports kick back up man it is going to be pretty interesting to see what goes on with everything because People are definitely hungry for their sports. This particular event was made to capitalize on it because Turner did a superb job of mixing the personality slash entertainment side with the sports of it. Uh, Bringing in Barkley, I thought was perfect. You got some pros calling in and giving you some feedback on the golf side of things. You had just enough competition for it to feel like, hey, these guys really care. And then look at what happened with the betting. I mean, you had an island situation for golf. They took advantage of it with the betting. We had a report in from Rivers and Sugar House that said only 30% of their bets were on the outcome. 70% of the bets were on props. And so this, to me, was a hugely successful event, not just for, for Turner, but for the sport of golf overall. And Dustin, we take a look here. We're hearing that 
handle Drew more than pretty much any golf tournament outside of the majors. And look, there are some pretty big golf tournaments that go on outside of just the majors, but we're sitting here talking about a a two-on-two with a couple of non-even pro golfers here, a couple of quarterbacks and some pro golfers going at it. And, um, you know, you take a look at, you hear stuff like that, those numbers, the handle outside of any major, this would be the biggest draw uh, this, like Adam said, you got to think that this is just more than a home run. Yeah, this is absolutely, absolutely a success from both a, a television and a, a betting perspective. I will say I was not one of those people who was really into this, uh, either from a watching or a betting standpoint. Uh, I, I kind of wanted them to have like their own money online and charity, great cause all for that. But, um, but yeah, clearly people were excited. I think this does lead you to like what, when we actually have a full PGA tour event, we've seen NASCAR had really big numbers when, when they return, I think a full PGA tour event is, is really going to kind of capture the sports fans imagination. Not everybody's in NASCAR. I think way more people are like casual golfers, like, Oh, I'll watch, I'll turn in to watch, watch some golfers. So I, who I may or may not care about just because it's a, a live sports event. And as we've said in the past, like golf is kind of a, a ideal betting sport. I think, you know, uh, what the in-play looks like for all these sports books across the U.S., we'll, we'll have to see. But it's it should be a compelling both both TV product uh, that's going to be well watched, I'd have to say, and uh, really good, some really something good for the, the sports books as as they look for for more things to have uh, take wagers on. Adam, I want to circle back around to one of the things that you brought up about Rivers talking that 70% of their bets were were on props. And, you know, this is kind of one of the things that you and I have, have talked about on, on multiple different outlets as to maybe a way that sports betting really does have a chance to continue to grow. I mean, we we talk about just the shiny new toy in these new states and, uh, you know, betting novices are certainly only betting, you know, money lines or, or, or spreads or whatever. But to hear that that many of the bets were on props, I think it's pretty interesting to kind of the future of how this, of how the industry just in general might be able to continue to grow as people become more familiar with props, as people even know what they are. I mean, there are novice prop, prop you know, novice bettors out there that w- wouldn't even look into the additional menus when it comes to betting outside of just the traditional spread or, or money line bets and things like that. And so I think that is a pretty telling stat right there that that many people were into the prop side of things. And, you know, not just from a golf standpoint, but from a football, basketball, baseball and everything moving forward, um, you know, for the growth of the industry. Without question, Matt, uh, I think the, the easiest comparison is to say, are you someone who's ever gone out on a weekend with your buddies? And you ever had some Nassau's going with your friends and you can understand having segmented bets. And I think that's what we really are getting down to when it's not just about golf and with the props. It's about not having to wager on or pay attention to an entire sporting event. I mean, MLB has talked about this over and over again, how they realize we're not necessarily going to get people to sit and watch a three to three and a half hour baseball game. But if we can get engagement for 15 to 20 minutes and we can get people betting on a short segment, betting on an inning, betting on the next at bat, et cetera, then we're still getting the kind of engagement that we want out of sports betting. And that's how you bring the two together between sports betting and sports uh, themselves. Now, golf in particular, you and I have talked about this not everyone is going to tune in to all four rounds of a golf tournament for the entire 
entirety of the broadcast. In fact, most people aren't, but everyone is familiar with the idea of how you bet these props. They're easy. They're easy to understand. I mean, if you're someone like me who is sitting there holding plus 550 on will three holes in a, in a row be one at any point and you're cursing Peyton Manning for you know, missing a putt, <laughs> then you understand that. And that might be the entirety of what you have going on this tournament, right? That might just be it. That might be the 20 minutes that you watch. So when we talk about the idea of sports betting integrating into sports as sports moves into a digital age in which people are more inclined to tune in for a few minutes than they are for entire broadcast. How do you monetize a few minutes versus monetizing an entire broadcast? At first, that might be props. As we go on, that might be more toward in-game. And to finish the thought, you and I have speculated on the idea of what in-play might look like for golf. I think this is a perfect thing to say, yeah, 70% on props, even if they're pre-match props, 70% on props shows that this sport has the appetite for exactly what we think about the in-play future. No, absolutely. And then, Dustin, just from a from a golf standpoint in general, the, the PGA Tour going to have a head start on the major sports coming back. Now, we did get an outline from the NHL of what they want to do with everything, but we know we're likely not to see NHL games until either late July, maybe early August when it comes down to it. And so uh, Major League Baseball has still yet to agree on anything. And even if the NBA, even if the uh, NBA and NFL get going we're still looking kind of like late summer early fall with those leagues as well and so the PGA is going to have a pretty big jump start here on these other leagues this could be a one of those moments I mean we talked about this with the UFC as well why they were so adamant about trying to hold events during the pandemic because they understood there is a chance to grab market share there's a chance to grab new fans a new audience and, and things like that I think the PGA Tour stands to benefit pretty well uh, from this as well. Yeah, I think everybody can argue about what the what the fifth uh, sport is in the United States in popularity. Golf certainly has that argument, but you know, I, I you know, I don't watch every regular season PGA Tour event. I'll I'll watch the majors, I'll I'll tune in sometimes. I'm definitely watching the first one when they get back. So they do have some a chance to make some hay to really, you know, establish themselves. I think they should be creative with what they do, uh, you know, with the broadcast, they're not going to have Fans there, of course, you're going to you should you really should uh, test the boundaries, uh, see what engages what people I'm excited to see what they do. Hopefully it isn't just the same state golf broadcast, which we may get. And even if that, uh, then we're totally fine. But uh, hopefully we get something, something interesting and a little bit more on the, the gambling fantasy side. So I think I haven't looked at FanDuel recently, but I know DraftKings posted a, a millionaire maker just for the first PGA Tour event, which gets you, gives you an idea of, of how interested people should be in, in betting on this. It's a million to first place, 2.5 million guaranteed. So uh, you know, DraftKings is expecting this to be wildly more popular than even a NASCAR race. And Adam, just to get a, a bit off topic here, this doesn't have, I don't think, you know, a ton to do with a lot that we cover here, but you know, I think one of the things that's also showed from a golf standpoint is that golf can be fun and people will be interested in golf being fun. And it doesn't have to be that stuffy environment where you have to wear pants and everyone's quiet and, you know, different things like that. I mean, having those guys mic'd up and they were in shorts and they were joking and laughing and kind of talking trash. And I think this does actually kind of lend a little bit to, to sports betting as well, because I think there's a place for two or three of these events per year. And we might see kind of massive handles like we did 
with this because there's fewer things to bet on. The names are more familiar. You're it's easier to follow the action because you're just following, you know, the same people the whole time. Now, could they expand this to maybe four different teams as opposed to two teams? Yeah. And you'd still be able to, to, to follow the event fairly easily, I think. But, you know, I, I think from golf's standpoint here, as Dustin mentioned, Hopefully they learned a little bit from this and, uh, you know, hopefully there's 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 some stuff like this in the future here, uh, not only just from a fan standpoint, but from a betting standpoint. My single favorite moment of the entire broadcast, Matt, was when Phil Mickelson kind of jokingly said to Tiger Woods, I'm going to need you to mark that. And yeah. Tiger shot back at him. Oh, you want me to use uh, one of my U.S. Open medals? Like, oh, bang, <laughs> like bang, bang, bang. And that's what we are doing these days. It's an era of access. That's what social media is about. That's what we are used to. We're used to access. And we saw it in spring training with some of the miking up of the players in spring training games for baseball. It worked out beautifully. Mike the players work with the players associations find ways to do this in a non-intrusive way do it live give them the opportunity to show personality because the biggest complaint that we get about golf is that it's stodgy right there's no personality there's no entertainment value these guys have good personalities they actually can be fun out there and an event like this just shows exactly how it can be mike the players Dustin, let's take a look here at uh, a story that was front and center for us for the longest time and then kind of fell by the wayside. And I guess probably some people out there that didn't even realize that this was still a thing. But here we are. And uh, at least we don't have to be uh, we don't have to play the dramatic piano music in the background here for this one <laughs> as a Supreme Court uh, does not rule in favor of the leagues. Yeah, so there's been a, an ongoing case where uh, the uh, New Jersey Thurbit Horseman Association associated with Monmouth Park in New Jersey uh, was suing all the leagues uh, in regarding not being able to have sports betting. You know, basically, you know, if you know the history of the Supreme Court case and sports, the sports betting ban it was the MLB, NBA, NFL, NHL, NCA were were trying to enforce the federal law to stop New Jersey from having it. That created a delay of, of six years, really, 2012 to 2018, until the federal ban finally fell. So out of that case came a, a series of federal court cases where, where, where the Horsemen's Association was uh, suing all of those parties for damages and a, a bond posted by the lease to cover cover expenses. So they're, they're asking, they've been asking for 150 million damages. Uh, the leagues uh, uh, appealed this to the U S Supreme court again for this, this uh, basically this uh, redo of this case, but not, no, not with the actual PASPA and the, the federal band in mind, but with the damages here and they were denied. So not no, no redo between uh, New Jersey and the leagues in this, uh, this goes, this gets remanded back to uh, federal court from whence it came to figure out exactly how much money they get. Uh, you know, pretty interesting in that, you know, Monmouth Park uh, horse racing obviously could use the money. Monmouth Park has been counting on sports betting to kind of help help with them. They're not, they may or may not really have fans this summer uh, at the track for some big races like the Haskell. So, you know, I, I think they, they're still going to be pushing to get a lot of money, whether they get it or not is still, uh, I think, in, in question from the case. But yeah, this is, uh, you know, the leagues took a, took a loss here. We'll, we'll owe some amount of money to Monmouth Park and the Horsemen's Association, and we'll, uh, we'll have to wait to see what that is. But uh, another loss for the leagues in the spring. We will continue to monitor this one, of course. And as any additional information comes along, you can find it over at legalsportsreport.com. 
com. Adam, by the time people catch this podcast, by the time they are listening, by the time this hits their ears, we might actually have some good news for them over in Ohio. Absolutely. And this was one of the states coming into this year that we had the greatest hopes for in terms of seeing legislation pass. And that's because Ohio works on a two year legislative session and they worked out a lot of the kinks in 2019 and carried the bill over to 2020. Of course, the coronavirus pandemic slowing down everything. And so they did not work on this bill for a couple of months. But coming back through committee, looks like that they could be targeting fall passage for the bill, depending on if they can work out the differences between the House and Senate versions. This is a key market. This is a really important bill because this is going to be a bill that is in a very populous state, a sports craze state, both pro and collegiate, and they have a really good structure working on the bill. It's a fairly competitive tax rate. You're looking at mobile being available, no significant restrictions on it. And legislators have been pretty firm on holding the line against official league data mandates. So the structure of the bill sets up for Ohio to have a prosperous market. And you're looking at one of the heavier hitters in terms of states across the nation that you could have for a sports betting market. Even in Michigan, which passed a robust bill, you still got the official league data mandate in there. So there are some restrictions that operators don't like quite as much. But Ohio certainly looks like a possibility. It's a House committee where we're looking for passage, but nothing is going to happen quickly there. Uh, This would just be another step toward resolving the issues that they have left with the bill before fall. The major issue is who's going to regulate. And we've seen this pop up in Tennessee and some other places as well. That's the major thing they have left to work out. Dustin, I'm going to do this because I know you love it so much when I become geography, Matt, here on the uh, on the podcast. So where Ohio is located to the east, we have Pennsylvania to the southeast. We have West Virginia to the west. We have Indiana and to the north. We have Michigan. What do all those states have in common? They all have legalized sports betting. And so that was one of the one of the things here whenever Adam talks about why this is so important. This is such a major, major state with so much sports history, so much so many sports teams and whatnot with all of these bordering states that could have been funneling their sports betting dollars outside of the borders. Yeah, I mean, if you're anywhere now, basically in the Northeast, Midwest, like you, if your casinos aren't don't have sports betting, like you're just behind now, right? You don't, uh, you're you're not offering something that you can go to any of those, you can go to Indiana or Pennsylvania, bet online or go to a, a physical casino when, when they're open and, and place bets. Michigan, you'll be able to do that soon as well, bet online. Uh, yeah, and it's basically, you're, I don't know why you'd hamstring your casinos at this point. You should just get it done if you're Ohio. Uh, there's really zero chance. And then you just keep expanding the map then too to wherever, anywhere else this is, you know, over, you know, how you, if, if you're basically if you're a casino state and you're not legalizing sports betting in parallel, uh, I don't know what you're doing. You're you're just wasting time because you you're going to do it sometime. So you should figure out how to do it in the in the short term and start. And again, well, we've talked about this. Start you know providing some revenue jobs for your for your state and revenue perhaps for the state and for for casino operators who could be struggling right now. Adam, will the first bets in Ohio will they be bets on the Browns or will they be hate bets against the Browns? 
I'm going to take the third option and say <laughs> some very safe politician is going to put this on Ohio State football. <laughs> there, all right, there, there it is. I mean, we know that the Browns fans love to uh, love to hate their team. There's no doubt about that. Dustin, I mentioned this at the at the top here. Louisiana makes the podcast for the third straight week. What is going on here? We have almost a done deal. It seems tantalizingly close to, to sports betting being a happening thing in Louisiana. Bas- both the House and the Senate have now passed bills, slightly different versions. Uh, this, may, this is even maybe going on while we're, ta- we're talking here. Adam may, may know more than I do, but uh, they're, they're trying to clean up the differences. And it does seem like in the, in the, you know, before the session adjourns on June 1st that we're going to have a sports betting bill. And that, that is not the end of the game. Still would turn that into a referendum in Louisiana, which would go to voters in November. But as we've talked about in the past, that seems like most of Louisiana will probably vote for that and we'll, we'll have it. So we're, we're pretty close. Uh, you know, I, we can pretty safely say that some parishes, uh, again, it's on a parish by parish basis, some parishes, you know, if this bill gets passed, some parishes will have sports betting sometime you know, theoretically in 2021. So we're, we're pretty close to adding Louisiana to the map uh, in terms of place that will have legal sports betting in the near future. And I know, and I know that makes you happy. It, it does. I guess, Adam, the one thing I would add to this where we would uh, play the dramatic piano in the background would be that it is Mississippi mobile in that bill. That is at least at, at, at last glance for me, unless something has changed, it was the Mississippi mobile model where not where people can, uh, you know, sign up and fund their account from their couch. Quit teasing the people. Give me a music bed. all right here we go ready let's go and hit it unfortunately matt it appears that mobile is not going to make the ballot this year in louisiana i'm so sorry see look at that that dramatic the dramatic piano works so so well right there i know it's so unfortunate that being said we talk about a lot of times something is better than nothing it is much easier once it gets going to add something than to you know continue to keep starting from scratch and so uh, you know, if that gets done there, I imagine it will only be a matter of time before all of these states kind of get their act together and get remote registration as well as funding and everything like that as uh, so that people can do this as efficiently as humanly possible. Adam, we were talking before we got recording here. There was a very, very late evening announcement from the governor in Nevada that gave the go ahead for Vegas casinos to reopen, amongst other things. With that, um, that date being early June, with that, what is sports betting going to look like, specifically sports books here in Nevada? Yeah, be prepared for some changes if you're going to set foot in a Vegas sports book. So Governor Steve Sisolak, uh, as you mentioned, with a false start or two, announced that casinos can reopen starting on June 4th. It's not going to look like what you're familiar with. Uh, William Hill put out a press release talking about some of its changes, and some of them are exactly what you'd expect about regular sanitizing and sanitizer being available, sneeze guards being in place at the counter. But I think the other things uh, that are going to be interesting says every other betting station will be open and that some seats and tables and booths are going to be reconfigured or removed to allow for distancing. So we kind of talked about in speculative mode, was this the way the physical sports book was going to look going forward? And it seems like at least in the short term, that's going to be the case right now in June. No big deal. But when we start talking about every other uh, window being open, 
Now start thinking about an NFL Sunday and what it looks like in the typical book and trying to not only keep people going through the line, but then think about what that line is going to look like when you have that line that's 50 people deep and you're trying to keep everybody six feet apart. How is that going to infringe on the rest of the casino floor? There are lots of factors for the casino bosses to figure into this. What goes along with that, Matt? We know that in late June, the Nevada Gaming Commission is going to take a look at a proposal to allow for all casinos to have remote funding of sportsbook accounts in Nevada. I would say it's like a 40% step in the right direction. The other 60% would be allowing for remote account registration. Uh, Our Matt Waters talked to the regulators in Nevada this week, giving you a sneak preview of a story that's going up on Legal Sports Report. Basically gave a kind of cryptic answer to say, well, you'll have to wait for the regulations. I don't believe you're going to see remote registration make its way in at this time. I think that we're probably looking at a compromise situation with the remote funding. But I do think the remote funding is with an eye toward what's going on right now, not just the last couple of months with the casinos being closed. But I think it's with an eye toward what we're about to see in terms of the new retail sportsbook experience. And Dustin, one of the things I think to point out there is, you know, we belabor the point here all the time that we think it's incredibly stupid that people don't have remote registration, especially in Nevada. How many millions they are leaving on the table is is unknown. But one of the big opponents of this for the longest time has been William Hill, because one of because one of the advantages William Hill has in Nevada is they're located all over the place in the in these kind of remote casinos. They're able to be in the pubs around town here. You can fund your account at 7-Elevens in Nevada and whatnot. But with them acquiring CG technology and when that takeover actually happens, you know, the pandemic, of course, slows all that down. But with that happening, now they do have a presence on the strip. And now the, the whole t- the whole the argument all along was, you know, well, they don't have a presence on the strip. They don't want these casinos that are down on the strip to be taking business from them when it comes to remote registration, yada, yada, yada. But they do have a presence on the strip now. They are a more national brand. They are, you know, it does behoove them to have as many people as humanly possible download their their product because if they were they live elsewhere, that, that they become brand familiar. So it does make me wonder if there will be a lot more movement towards the remote registration stuff now that William Hill isn't strictly, uh, you know, off the strip. Yeah, you got to think that. I mean, there's obviously lots of of parties uh, in the Vegas casino world. You have stations too, which is, uh, you know, I think has been historically against this as well. But you have MGM and Caesars who are increasingly becoming uh, more comfortable with online, already have online casino and sports betting in several states. So, you know, if you know, at some point it's just got to just got to happen. You think? It's, uh, I don't. I don't know what that time frame is, but it just it's. Nevada also, I think, and I'm sure we've said this on, it has to feel backwards uh, about this, about how every other state is doing this remotely and is, is okay with it. And there hasn't been uh, the end of the world uh, from either a cannibalization standpoint or from a verification standpoint. And again, we make this point too. Online poker, you could just sign up online and there's no no worries about who that person <laughs> is either. The whole, whole thing doesn't really make any sense anymore. And the, the expansion of sports betting has pointed it out. Hopefully we we get to that point. But yes, there's I think Will Hill and everybody else, you know, eventually there's there's so much noise for like, yes, we're we're just losing money now and losing engagement and ways to engage with customers, especially in a world where it's harder to get people into a land based casino in theory. Uh, I think, yeah, we should we should be getting to a world where there's a, a critical mass and, and Nevada gets its act together. 
And, and Adam, I'm just speculating here again, but, you know, with William Hill being available in a lot of these new states across the country that offer sports betting, you would think you would want remote registration because if you already had a customer in state X, Y, or Z, you would want them when they land in Nevada to come here to party for the Super Bowl or for the March Madness or whatever it might be to just be able to download your, you know, the familiar sports book because they already have an account with you in whatever state it might be that they would want to be able to get onto your product without having to go and seek out one of your sports books where they might not be staying at your at a hotel that offers your sports book on the strip or whatever it might be. But they're already a customer of yours that you already have their business. It just seems I don't know. Why does it seem so damn obvious to me, Adam? Why does it seem so obvious? Because you're a smart individual. <laughs> I understand that uh, this has been something that has troubled you for a long time. I'm going to make a counterpoint that's not actually against yes. you, but it's Will Hill's strategy. Uh, look at the amount of money that William Hill just spent in Washington, D.C. to put a retail sports book inside of the Capitals and Wizards arena, right? Like they have staked their strategy, not just locally, but nationally on retail. And I'm not saying it's their entire strategy, but it certainly is a larger piece of their strategy than we've seen from a lot of other U.S. operators. So that's it for William Hill. The other point I would make about Nevada, Matt, is that I think it's a lot more about station than it is about William Hill. Like William Hill yeah. coming over to the side of MGM and Caesars and other operators that have testified in front of gaming regulators to say we want remote registration. Uh, it would help. But. Station Casinos is an outsized presence in terms of the local market. And when we're talking about a market that sort of thinks in old ways, protecting those locals casinos and those who are behind them is certainly foremost in the eyes of regulators when it comes to this particular issue. I de- yeah, I, I agree with you there. And, you know, of course, there's lots of history with the with the Fertitas in, in government here and the various regulating bodies and, and whatnot. And so. Certainly hold a lot of weight, certainly have a lot of power. There's no doubt about that. We will see how, if this changes the mind of anyone going along the way. I mean, there was the longest time that station casinos didn't even allow you to bet during this pandemic because there was just so little action going on there that it wasn't even worth their time to put up lines and stuff. And it makes you wonder if people could have registered, if they could have funded, if they could have whatever, if things might have changed. Matt, I can't tell you how many times I logged into that account of mine just to see if anything was available. And I couldn't believe that. I mean, we were into May and there was nothing there. And I was just shocked by the uh, fact that they didn't get themselves involved again when (laughs) pretty much every other sports book in town had started to put something back on the board. So, yeah, uh, different strokes for different folks, but uh, station operating to a different market. Definitely. And we will see again. Can't wait for that uh, for that hearing there. Hopefully, Adam decides to uh, to make his voice known. Maybe he will. He'll chime in and give his uh, opinion on where where we should be in Nevada with all this. Guys, uh, no, to close. No, yeah, no one's listening to that, by the way. <laughs> I would. I would, my friend. I would uh, close things out here. Let's talk a little bit about DraftKings. We never do that. No, I mean, seriously, though, it has been the hot topic here. I mean, it is pretty crazy because it's not just in our bubble now, guys. I mean, I am seeing articles written about DraftKings in just mainstream, not only financial stuff, but sports things and whatever, because of how incredibly hot this brand has been 
even through this pandemic, we have seen there was a point I, I hadn't checked today, but there was a point yesterday where the stock had full on doubled since it opened. There is talk about all these major investors that have gotten involved here. And, you know, more and more news just keeps coming out about DraftKings. And Jason Robbins actually had uh, has some things to say as well. Yeah, he, uh, you know, talking as part of, uh, he's been doing a me- little bit of a media tour, has more media and, and conference, uh, virtual conferences uh, picked up. You know, his, one of his uh, takeaways, and, and this is one I t- I'll take issue with, is that uh, states are going to turn to sports betting for new revenue. And I, I you know, I, again, I've been wrong plenty of times on this podcast and in my takes. I, I, I just don't see this being a huge thing. It's it, number one, we've already had, you know, uh, two fifths of the country has legalized some form of sports betting has already made the decision. So we're, we're da- we're, we've already limited our, our, our focus to that. I can, you know, I can quickly like look around the map and I, and I just don't see how budget concerns uh, are, are a huge part of any of it. Uh, you know, New York has already been facing a budget shortfall before any of this happens. And, and sports betting wasn't a compelling thing for them then. I don't know if it, it is now. Uh, you know, it's not a con- in some of the really big states. It's not a concern either. You know, Massachusetts was already kind of on board. Uh, things got slowed down. Coronavirus, Florida, it has nothing to do with budget concerns. Texas, again, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with whether the state's going to meet budget or not. So you've now taken all these states out of the play, you know, Ohio, as we talked about, already talking about Louisiana, already talking about. So I don't know where the, where all this comes from that we're like, Oh, they're going to have this wash of States, you know, like uh, we're now talking about Wyoming and Nebraska. And I'm just, I'm just picking out States as I can look around the map. And it's just not a whole lot of States that you think are, are super exciting or will, you know, dive head first into to, to sports betting and online sports betting. You know, the one the one caveat to that is is possibly California. They are in a in a bad way with with their budget right now, and there's at least some chatter that something could happen in California. You know, I'm I'm going to bet against that, but it's it's at least leaked into what's going on in the states, and uh, you know, that that'd be the one place where it could change things, but. I don't see this groundswell of everyone saying, oh, we need sports betting revenue. And that's going to really change the dynamic for for DraftKings and how much business is doing across the country. So, Adam, you obviously this is the other side of your your life that you have worked in before. You know, one of the things we hear often with the lottery, you know, is that people were cool with the lottery because in most states it's tied to schools, right? That the tax revenue and the everything that you get from the lottery goes towards education, goes towards schools. And so people were okay with that. What we haven't really heard a lot is kind of the sports betting being tied to like a specific agenda, being tied to a specific thing. Now, just playing devil's advocate to what Dustin just said, do you think at all, if that were the case in some of these states that maybe there would be a little bit more action here or, I, you know, I don't know. I guess I kind of agree with what Dustin said. If you look at the majority of the states across the country, we're seeing this already brought up. We're seeing the discussions already happening. So I don't really know if there needs to be kind of that thing that that really tips it other than the fact that there's just, you know, a lot of politics involved. There's a short term thinking here and there's a long term thinking here. And the idea of tying sports betting to a particular revenue, such as education or anything other than responsible gaming, uh, which some places have carved out some of their money for, which makes perfect sense. Tying it to a specific fund in the short term is great because I think you are going to appeal to some people for passage to be able to say, well, 
I'm going to vote for it because it helps education. The problem is that, as we know, this is a low margin business and a situation like the pandemic highlights the fact that it is not a reliable revenue stream. This is not something that is going to be able to survive all sorts of ups and downs. It's something that is very sensitive to people's ancillary income. It's sensitive to market conditions that are well outside the control of anyone. So what you risk if you put it on education is that when people are going and looking for that education money at a time like this, when the revenue isn't the same, they're going to say, well, why did we do it with sports betting? Is that is that why we did it? No, I think you have a much stronger argument in the long term for states legalizing sports betting if you focus on bringing an illegal activity that's happening already into a regulated fold. If you focus on saying to people, hey, listen, if you're truly concerned about responsible gaming, if you're truly concerned about being able to identify betting patterns that could have that could affect the integrity of sports, if you're concerned about being able to get information on problem gamblers and be able to say, hey, we are noticing something weird in this person's account, then doing it in the light is the way to do it. And treating the revenue as a secondary piece is the more prudent way to go in the long term. I get it. I understand, Matt, where you're coming from is to say, wouldn't it be appealing for passage to say, well, we're doing it for the kids? Yeah, it absolutely would. But in the long term, I think you open yourself up to a backlash that isn't really great for the sustainability of trying to keep sports betting in a regulated environment in the long term. And we we talk about sports betting in the the big number terms because we you know handle and how much is wagered is the kind of is the thing that's tied to growth. You can you, you revenue not always tied to growth, but is kind of is tangential to it. So we're we're look at handle, but that's that's the, that's the number that's always in the billions, right? We're saying billions of dollars we we bet it will generate then you know tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, and then we're talking the tax rate that goes to the state. We're now talking you know not, I mean it's money. It's and it's in some states like New Jersey it is very meaningful money, but it is not uh, like a budget balancer by any stretch of the imagination. And if somebody, if somebody's coming at sports betting and saying, Oh, we're going to pass sports betting and balance our budget by, you know, with this billions of dollars being made, that's not going to happen. So I, I also, you know, caution against States. You know, I, I, I obviously do want them to, to legalize combat the offshore market and all of that, do it for consumer protections. If you're doing it for, yes, we need hundreds of millions in tax revenue. You're doing it wrong. It's not, that's not going to happen. It's uh, like Adam said, this is a, the policy part of it is is multi pronged. Uh, it helps your casinos. It helps your uh, it helps combat something that's already going on, going on here. And, and you know, tax revenue yeah, does yes, create nice. jobs. It, yeah. it does create jobs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it, but the sure. tax revenue is nice, but it's not the it's mm. not this uh, this thing that's going to solve all your problems. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's there. There are certainly more positives than negatives when it comes to to your state. But like you said, it's not going to be this gigantic windfall that's going to cure everybody's problems. And if anybody is trying to kind of frame it that way, then they are certainly going about it the wrong way. But guys, if you want to read more about this and all of the stories that we talked about, and even the teaser there from Adam, that will be over on LegalSportsReport.com. Of course, we will have the update. Should there be anything in that Ohio story? Should there be any more in the Louisiana story as well? You'll find that on Legal Sports Report as well. If you head to at LSP Report on Twitter, you can follow us there. You can follow at Dustin Galker, at Adam Candy. That is two E's, no Y. And of course, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google for this very podcast. For Dustin, for Adam, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week. 
the go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45 minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal, valid when product served. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.